All right, this is Tony Held, and you're listening to the Medical Director's Always Right. I am once again and always joined by Dr. Josh Stelly. Did you want to say hello? Hello. I thought it might be fun to do a couple podcasts in response to some episodes previously featured on the CBC EMP podcast. Uh, if we rewind back to the study session days, we didn't have a doc up for jumping on the mic, so I thought we'd review some. You guys might remember Chris Thompson discussing first responder and layperson Narcan. If you haven't listened to that one, stop right here, listen to it, come right back. The major theme of the research that Chris was able to pull was that Narcan was pretty darn positive no matter the setting. Now, Chris wasn't initially a fan of first responder and layperson Narcan, as he had a lot of concerns about complications, uh, but the data itself was really pretty positive. Now, before we get into that data, I did want to talk about the opiate epidemic. That was where Chris started, and I think that's where we should start. So it's pretty clear that our nation, as well as many others, are facing the opiate epidemic, and I guess that really means that it's a pandemic. Narcotics are cheaper than ever, access is prevalent, and we are even seeing agents from veterinary medicine as well as designer labs. Areas that were unfamiliar with street usage of opiates are now seeing them every day. Our challenge as pre-hospital providers is to meet the needs of our populace while remaining safe ourselves. Dr. Stilley, did you want to comment on the opiate pandemic? Yeah, so there are a number of reasons for this. Uh, so there is over-prescribing of narcotic medications, um, there's influx of medications, both uh, both foreign and domestic. Um, apparently, China is a big source of fentanyl right now, as well as uh, more heroin hitting the market. Um, the illegal uh, medications are kind of taking over as the legal prescriptions are starting to decline. There has been some improvement on the uh, initial prescribing by providers and some decreased prescriptions, which is good. Uh, we still have a long way to go uh, on improving both of those, but uh, definitely an epidemic in the same way uh, methamphetamine is an epidemic and alcohol abuse is an epidemic. Um, so you bring up that a lot of these agents uh, being used are illegal. Uh, what advice do you have for providers in dealing with opiate abusers, their friends, and their families? So I think the same advice on any same. So our, uh, our responsibility in the community is to be professional, provide care for the patient that we see, and try to provide advice for uh, those around us in the community. Preventative care is helpful, talking to people about the opioid epidemic um, and um, what they can do to help their family and friends. How do you feel about uh, most of our unwillingness to go into these scenes without law enforcement? I think that is somewhat appropriate, somewhat inappropriate at times. Uh, a lot of times when people are calling 911, they are expecting help to get there. But at the same time, we have to make sure our providers are safe. These are uh, often chaotic scenes. Chaos sometimes means danger, sometimes not. But I think it's important for providers to recognize that they do need to make sure that they are keeping uh, safety for themselves as a paramount priority whether it's the patient, uh, others on scene that are intoxicated on something, or uh, other uh, friends or family that are not intoxicated, just emotional, worked up, uh, or aggravated in some way. All right, so we will move forward into Narcan itself. Uh, so wanted to discuss uh, the principles in pharmacology. So how does Narcan work in the first place? So Narcan is an uh, antagonist uh, of the mu opioid receptor. So uh, where uh, opioids work, it blocks that function. 
Um, so that is good because it stops opioids from having the uh, problematic effects that we see of um, altered mental status, hypotension, those kinds of things. It's problematic um, because as it takes away the sedation, people now have no opioids left to counteract. So because uh, the body has its own supply of opioids intrinsically, that's why we're able to use opioids externally to hit a receptor to have an effect. So the body actually is making opioids all the time, very, very small quantities in a normal balance uh, to get the ability to treat pain on our own uh, without extrinsic uh, medications. That's why we have them in the first place. That's why they work. Um, but we use them externally to help supplement that system. Uh, people who are abusing opioids, like other uh, abuse mechanisms, will increase the number of receptors to try to account for that. We call that uh, uh, the accommodation or um, tolerance uh, to the medication. Um, when we use Narcan in sufficient quantities, we block uh, those receptors, not only the receptors that are in addition uh, to the normal, but the normal receptors as well. So you can end up blocking all of that. Uh, and that can throw people into withdrawal. Um, and so they go essentially into a pain crisis without any intrinsic sedative uh, able to counteract our uh, catecholamine system. So that's why we get tachycardia, hypertension, diaphoresis uh, when people go into opioid withdrawal. Uh, I did want to go through uh, some pros and cons of various administration routes. Um, so, Dr. Stilley, did you want to take us through uh, pros and cons of uh, intravenous? intramuscular, intranasal, uh, and endotracheal, as well as nebulized. Sure. So uh, starting with the most easy to access, intranasal. So intranasal is good because it's fast. There's no needles visible. Uh, so the risk of poking yourself is pretty low without a needle um, and uh, can be given pretty easily. The problems with intranasal, you have to atomize the medication in order to actually distribute it on the nasal mucosa so it gets absorbed. There's variable rates of absorption as well. Um, so how much mucus is present? Um, how's the blood flow to the nose? So you can have some variable absorption, but it's good. It's fast. It's quick. It works reasonably well for most people. Uh, IV uh, Narcan, uh, you have to have an IV in place. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad to have an IV in place, but uh, very reliable administration. Uh, same with uh, IM. Pretty quick, a little bit faster to give than intra, uh, intravenous, um, but will take a little bit longer to absorb than intravenous. Uh, probably a wash on overall timing for the first dose, whether getting an IV, giving IV Narcan, or giving IM and waiting for the absorption. Um, some data would say probably a little faster on the IM, uh, probably pretty close overall. Um, but again, fairly good titration, good absorption uh, in that mechanism. Um, uh, endotracheal is another option. Um, very, uh, a lot of variability in endotracheal absorption and most of our drugs that we give. So it, it is an option. I think it's okay if you don't have other access, but probably not going to have a whole lot of effect or it's going to take a while for that to absorb in the long parenchyma. And then uh, nebulized as oh, well. nebulized, yeah. So nebulized, uh, because you're um, getting a wide swath of uh, areas that it's hitting, again, distribution may be, um, uh, and absorption may be a little bit variable. Um, not one that I've used before, so I don't have much experience with it, but possible if you don't have any other routes. This was one of the uh, kind of far out possibilities, I guess, when we were trying to figure out how do we encourage providers to provide uh, ventilation assistance uh, while also 
getting to focus on Narcan is hooking up like an inline nebulizer of Narcan to a BVM uh, so that they are only able to give Narcan if they are ventilating. <laughs> That's a good cheat. I think it is acceptable to interrupt bag mass ventilations for a moment to squirt the nose with the Narcan and then go back to bagging. I think that's okay as well. Uh, so Chris brought up uh, quite a few risks of administration and some of the uh, arguments opposing them, um, but I'd like to return to some of those uh, risks that he uh, raised. So mixed overdose is a huge concern of mine. Uh, I think it's rare that we know exactly what a patient took, uh, who their supplier was, what the drugs may have been laced with. There's a lot of variables there. Um, provided your patient is unresponsive with reduced respirations, hypoxic, and thought to have abused a substance, uh, what is your strategy for an overdose of unknown agent? So the unknown overdose starts in the same way all of our altered mental status patients start. So you start with uh, assessing the airway. Do you have airway patency? Uh, assisting ventilation and checking circulation. Narcan would fall to me after glucose um, if you have suspicion uh, for opioid overdose of when you should be looking at it in the disability cycle. So it's definitely not a primary action. Um, but um, we have other maneuvers that we can do like assisting ventilations with a bag mass ventilation counteracts a lot of the problems that we have. It's only really large overdoses that are going to have the hypotension, poor perfusion, and potentially cardiac arrest. Uh, a lot of times cardiac arrest and opioid overdoses is respiratory in nature anyway from the hypoxia. So supporting ventilations counteracts 90% of what we're running into. So I think that's the, the good place to start. So start with ventilations. First responders and uh, EMS providers should be well-versed in bag mass ventilations. This is a skill we should all have, and we should apply it to these patients when we come across them while we're doing other measures or maneuvers. But starting with bag mass ventilation, even on room air, is a really, really good place to start. Uh, withdrawal is another problematic risk of Narcan administration, if we, as we've brought up previously. Uh, what types of symptoms uh, do we see with the acute narcotic withdrawal, and how long do they last? So the acute narcotic withdrawal can uh, occur both in patients who are on appropriate uh, opioids. So this would be a patient, for instance, that has cancer that's on opioids, gets a little bit sleepy, and gets a dose of Narcan. Uh, this could be in patients who are inappropriately using Narcan, whether that's prescribed or over, uh, street drugs um, in an acute or chronic setting. A lot of our uh, opioid abusers are on chronic narcotics, so they have an increased dependence on narcotics and an increased tolerance, so pretty high doses. So when we give Narcan and block those receptors, now we shut that off, both for the uh, um, uh, chronic and the acute user. Uh, the symptoms then that we're going to put them into is everything counter to what we see in an opioid overdose. So they're going to be tachycardic, hypertensive, diaphoretic, agitated, um, um, ramped up sympathetic nervous system, essentially. What can we do to mitigate those symptoms? So the first action that I try to go for to mitigate those symptoms is not give too much Narcan in the first place. So being cognizant that Narcan can have side effects, I always try to be careful on the doses I give as well as what I encourage my providers to give. Uh, if you do end up giving too much, the response is actually not opioids back. Um, giving more opioids back doesn't help because you still have those receptors blocked. So usually benzodiazepines is the next step to try to um, help calm the people down, sedate them, uh, using a different receptor, uh, the GABA receptor instead of the mu opioid receptor. 
Uh, Chris brought up some major complications uh, in his previous talk, and I wanted to dig into how you go about avoiding them uh, and how to treat them if you couldn't prevent them. Um, so when we talk about uh, the potential for seizures, uh, how do we minimize that risk? So the seizure risk with opioid withdrawal is variable. It's really hard to tell who's going to have a seizure, who's not going to have a seizure. Uh, certainly if they have an underlying seizure disorder, they're predisposed. Again, it starts with prevention, not giving too much Narcan in the first place. Um, and then if uh, you are worried about the patient being overly agitated or uh, worked up or they are seizing, benzodiazepines are still going to be effective. And then uh, what would you say about cardiac arrhythmias? Uh, same thing. I had one uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, somebody got Narcan um, and went into, uh, woke up from their cardiac arrest. So it, it seems like it was a very appropriate uh, Narcan administration, um, and, but then went into AFib afterwards. So um, again, had a lot of stimulation. That stimulation on the cardiac muscle led to uh, irritability and atrial fibrillation. Usually we treat them just with supportive care. I'm not giving a whole lot of beta blockers, calcium channel blockers to slow them down. Usually giving some fluid because they're often dehydrated. Benzos if they look agitated. And usually you just wait long enough and a lot of these side effects just go away. And then uh, the agitation, violence, or acute psychosis following uh, that Narcan administration and, and withdrawal. So um, that is uh, multifactorial. So it depends on how agitated. My acute, uh, um, so the significant, I think they're going to hurt me or hurt others or hurt themselves right now is ketamine. Um, if it's um, trying to calm them down some, either benzodiazepines or that's a, an appropriate indication for haloperidol. Um, I've used that quite a few times. Do you think the uh, risk associated with narcotic withdrawal seizures um, could be complicated with Haldol administration? Yeah, maybe, but Haldol's good. It's fine. Haldol is not that risky for seizures. And usually with these patients, I've already given benzos or will probably be given some more benzos. So Haldol is still uh, a go-to um, uh, in my bag of tricks. If only we had Droperidol. Oh, gosh. It, we would well, Droperidol have probably has the same seizure. Nah, it's fine. I don't think that's any different. I, but yes, if I could have to repair it all back. But I that QT, that QT prolongation, that's which a lot of medic. Yeah, we can go on a long diatribe. Haldol and Zofran both do that, and it doesn't matter. Who cares? It doesn't kill patients. It doesn't hurt patients. Okay, I will cut us off right there. Uh, you can catch the show notes for this episode as well as uh, the upcoming Narcan Part 2 episode at cbcemp.proboards.com. Uh, catch full articles uh, that we talk about on the show on Mendeley. Uh, it is free to join. And we will also repost uh, Chris Thompson's talk from the study sessions uh, in those show notes. Uh, this was Tony Held with the Medical Director's Always Right on the CBC EMP podcast. We will catch you again soon for part two.